for me, as I'm supporting clients, it's more about how can we hold space for who we really are and how can we let some of those layers peel off or melt off? Hopefully, it's, you know, it can be a very beautiful, transformative, and even a gentle process in letting some of that, you know, whether it's the stress or the anxiety or the depression, you know, by getting to the root of that so that we can allow it to peel back and reveal who we really are and all of the desire and purpose that comes with it. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely egg vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give you their message of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. Today, we're talking to the wellness coach, yoga mindfulness teacher, Susie McCallie. Are you stuck in pain, stress, and feeling overly anxious? and just totally ready for relief? For that weight to be lifted once and for all? You're in luck. Susie grew up in a cult and she used her experiences to turn them into art and just so much more. She shares her incredible story and how her experiences empower you to consciously take charge of your inner health and well-being, So you get to say goodbye to your inner anxiety too. Listen right now and learn how to achieve balance overcome your inner demons and reduce your stress so that you can start laughing again and enjoying your life and living the way you really want to. Just an incredible story. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Susie. Thank you so much. Beautiful introduction. Thank you. Yeah. Now you grew up in a cult and turned that experience into art. And I mean, right, that right there just begs so many different questions. So I have to start there. Can you please tell us where did you grow up and what was that experience and how did you turn that into art? Because that's just so beautiful. I know Thank there's you. so much in that. So yes, I, w- I grew up in a cult called, it was called the Children of God and that's the family. They had a, a rebranding wow. after some bad press. Yeah. So wait, where was but, this? So this was in Brazil. So I grew up, you know, my parents were both musicians. They joined the organization as the young people, you know, teenagers. And really my mother is Brazilian. She was a teenager and started getting involved with the group. My father is American from Maryland. He had hitchhiked to California and kind of synced up with them there. And it was part of the whole hippie movement, you know. And so with them, that's how he made his way down to Brazil and lived there for 20 years. So they really had, you know, these beautiful intentions and this passionate heart uh, for service and for a living. A very, what they thought was a very genuine, you know, religious life. And there are some beautiful things about that. And there was also a lot of pain and a lot of trauma and the way that we were raised, it was fairly dogmatic. You know, we didn't have very much contact with the outside world and even with, you know, outside extended family members. And so it was really kind of this Bible, which again, had both beautiful things. Like for example, we would sing every day as a group, you know, and part of my love of music. And now of course I'm a musician as well is probably born, I'm sure from that period. But then also the downside and, and traumas that, you know, abuses 
that I experienced and even sexual abuse. And, you know, part of my journey of healing has been, you know, like Brene Brown, of course, talked about the courage of vulnerability and finding that story within myself and acknowledging it for me first for my own healing and then being able to share it with others. Some of the uh, beautiful outcomes of that have been actually other people in my family coming out and with similar stories. And so that that messy ongoing healing process can really begin. Do you have siblings? I do. Yes. I'm the middle of five. Wow. And so how long were you in? Did you guys live in the cult? Yeah. So we kind of transitioned out. I moved to the U.S. when I was 10 in Miami first and still with the organization and then with Texas and moved to Texas still with the group. And then probably I was around 12, like so the most awkward period of your life, 12, 13. And that's when we left the group and went out on our own, which was really scary for all of us. My parents had never had normal quote unquote, normal job. And so they're out there, you know, trying to figure things out and keep us safe financially. And, you know, it's the first time being on our own with our own house. And really just for us kids, you know, that painful, really identity struggle of, okay, we were the special, we were always raised to believe we were the special chosen people. And now all of a sudden we are what they called systemite or backslider. And so that, that meant anybody that left the group, you know, and so it, I'm still processing with my siblings, you know, what that meant for us in that time. And of course, my parents were just trying to survive. And so there was little guidance, honestly, at that point. So it's something we're still unpacking even today as a family. Yeah. Are you in touch with all your siblings or any? did yeah. any of them go back? Did anybody go back? No. I mean, we're also grateful for where we are now. Everyone is thriving and uh-huh. very successful, but we're so happy that our parents left when they did, you know, because of that pivotal, the pivotal teenage years that no, none of them have gone back. We're all very close and they live, you know, I have a couple that we live all over San Diego, London, Texas. And so we get together and, and travel and meet up. We just got back from a family trip to Brazil and seeing family there. So it's been quite a ride. Yeah, I would imagine. So how do you recover from something like that? And I mean, was there therapy? Was there, did, was it not talked about? Did you say, oh, I just left? Like, what do you do? Yeah. So no, there was no therapy. You know, it just really wasn't. There's some intergenerational stuff that is coming up as far as trauma too in my family. And reasons why, you know, there was a culture of secrecy kind of passed down. Like, for instance, we just found out through DNA testing that we're all Jewish. <laughs> oh, my stepsister that, just found that out through the, right. what is it, what's the DNA thing with the... Right. Yeah, anyway. They, I think my mom did Ancestry.com. Yeah, yeah, that. And one of, one of and those. So she, she actually had family members through contact her and she made some big discoveries about new family members. It's her story to tell, so I'm, I'm going to leave yeah, it no, I, I, at that. For many reasons, this was something that was secret and that was not safe, you know, when they moved to Brazil because of persecution. It wasn't safe for them to be who they were. And so, you know, going through that, I think it just developed a culture of, you know, not talking about our thing. And so when I was struggling with anxiety, depression, 
as a teenager and engaging in all these risky behaviors, drugs, sex, just all this exploring that really I look back on it now and it was me trying to find balance. And even, you know, now as a yoga teacher, as a mindfulness teacher, I look at it also from nervous system point of view. And it was really me just trying to find equilibrium and reaching out to all of these external sources to do so, which we know can is not very productive a lot of the time. So, you know, to your question about, you know, what kind of support was available, it was like, go read your Bible, go pray about it. You know, no, we're not going to go do therapy. Like that's not how we do things. That's not really part of our family culture, what we believe. And we're just now changing that in our own family. So it made it for a very difficult transition. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s and I discovered yoga and all these mindfulness tools and then kind of went down that rabbit hole getting, you know, I'm a certified Reiki master. I've been coaching folks for a decade plus, you know, but it was really out of desperation to be completely honest. You know, like so many of your speakers share about how where they are in their healing journey has come from a place of pain. And, you know, that and that was really my motivator for writing the play as well as you mentioned, turning trauma into art. Yeah. So did you go to college? I went to college. I just got my master's. Oh, congratulations. I know. I saw that up there. So when you went to college, did you talk about, oh, I used to be in a cult? I'm sorry. I just am so like, no, I can't believe. I know. Yeah. It's interesting how each of us, so being one of five siblings, it's so interesting. Like, so one of my sisters, like really never talks about it. And even like her very close friendship, like never talks about it. And then I have another sibling when, you know, the first time you meet him, he'll tell you, yeah, you yeah. know, I grew up in a cult. So yeah, it's the rain. Like slowly as they get to know you. Yeah. Well, I grew up in a cult. I guess it's definitely <laughs> an icebreaker at parties, you know, <laughs> I don't know. There is, yeah. And I'm kind of in the middle. I, okay. You know, unless that, you know, in the targeted space, right? Because, you know, it can even be triggering for not right. just for me, but for, for other right, people. Right. And so you but never you, know what you would background is. I could tell you would read that energy in somebody, though. I, like, you're the type of person that would know not to say it to this person unless you <laughs> wanted to get a response. Like, I mean, you just. I, yeah, I, sometimes I share and, and sometimes I don't. That's been a journey as well, you know, like who to share, how yeah. much, when, with. Right, right. And the oversharing. And so, yeah, is. So how did yoga, you said it started, everything started getting released with you with yoga. How did yoga start doing that for you? So in my first class, even though it was so funny to me, it was taught by our PE teacher at my community college. And she had like the most un soothing voice you could ever possibly imagine and but it didn't matter like you know of course they're like six thousand years old and so it, it didn't really matter you know who was delivering it the message came across and for me the the message in that moment was relief and you know one of the first times that I remember feeling like just the absence of what I now know to be anxiety and stress and I didn't even have words for it then it just felt like I was always on edge and you know something was like wrong and fundamentally you know as I peeled back those layers the, the belief that something was wrong with me and in that moment you know it was just it was just relief and peace and so I was like okay there's something to this and then you know I was a single mom raising my son and all the challenges of that and so I just kept coming back to it 
periodically and then finally was like, okay, I'm going for it. And, you know, opened my studio shortly after getting certified. Now I'm a 500 hour yoga instructor. And as I mentioned, a lot of other modalities that I've gotten into, including tapping and access bars and even became a certified tantra practitioner as a way to really address my own healing and then share it with others. Oh, sure. If you were sexually abused, what are, just lost it, something bars? Access bars. I'm it's another sure healing yeah, it's another healing modality that was kind of channeled and really worked with the energy systems of the body to help us find balance. You know, there was a period of time where I was like, oh, you know, people kept telling me, well, you do so much, you know, because I'm a musician, I have an album out, I'm a playwright, I'm an actor, I've starred in films, you know, I do speaking, I do coaching, and then I have, you know, my my practice, and I also started a nonprofit. So we bring yoga and arts into underserved schools, and I'm like, and I'm very passionate about that, but uh, you know, I was like, you do so much. And, and then I thought about it, I'm like, no, really, I just do one thing, and that is healing. That's it. Like, you know, whether it's through the arts, whether it's through yoga, meditation, like, whether it's for me, whether it's for others, like, it's just that one thing for me. Yeah. It's like, I'm of love and service, and that brings hope. So <laughs> I understand. I completely get that. So you turned your experience into art. Do you want to talk about how you did that and how somebody else would be able to do that if that's what's meant for them? Because you do teach mindfulness. Can I ask for the question again? Yeah. So you turned your experience of being in a cult, you turned that into art, which is beautiful. How did right. you do that? Uh, you know, you mentioned my meditation practice. And to me, everything starts with looking inward. And so I don't know how I did that, to be honest. I've had a lot of support, you know, as part of a journey along the way. I, I worked closely with collaborators. I uh, had a lot of encouragement, so I certainly didn't do it alone. But for me, you know, it was reflecting on that. And when it's like, you know, Morgana Ray, who was also on your show, talks about the practice of alchemy, taking, you know, the deepest, darkest, richest compost and turning it into something that, that brings light. And so for me, that looks like writing my own play and producing and directing it. And then it looks like writing my own story and my one woman show and taking it on the road and doing it black Broadway and sharing it with folks in that way. So to anyone that is interested in turning your story or your compost into art, I would say absolutely do it. And I think getting clear on the reasons why, getting clear on my why, like so many people talk about, was very helpful in being able to see it through because not everybody was thrilled that I was doing that play. That's <laughs> So make sure that you're clear, you know, with yourself as to our intentions and also making sure that it's not causing harm, right? So like making sure that we have processed enough to be at a point where we can share it in a way that, that brings more healing and, and connection in the world instead of, you know, causing more harm. Yeah, of course. And how would you tell someone to get clear on what it is that they want to do? They, they have this feeling like, right. oh, I, I know yeah. there's more. I'm not doing mm -hmm. what I'm here and meant to do. Yeah, I really believe, I think it was, you were talking about Mary, uh, your dad on the show, and mm -hmm. she talked about how each of us has all the knowledge. 
within us. So, you know, it's really about uncovering what's already there. We're all born, you know, little kids are like, I want to do this and I want to do that. And then, you know, they're very comfortable with desire and with dating it. And then, you know, and then we have layers on top that confuse things or distract us or send us on a different path and, you know, might be connected to survival strategies from when we were little kids or we wanted to please and we can get kind of thwarted on our path. And so for me, as I'm supporting clients, it's more about how can we hold space for who we really are and how can we let some of those layers peel off or melt off? Hopefully, it's, you know, it can be a very beautiful, transformative, and even a gentle process in letting some of that, you know, whether it's the stress or the anxiety or the depression, you know, by getting to the root of that so that we can allow it to peel back and reveal who we really are and all of the desire and purpose that comes with it. Yeah, no, that's great. And I firmly believe we each have our own unique print our, like we each have our own handprint we're each unique in our own way so when we think oh but somebody's already doing it but nobody's doing it the way you can there's Beautiful. nobody that can do it the way you can do what you yes. want to do and so if there's something you want to do you can do it nobody can speak it the way you can no one can write it the way you can do it no one can dance it the way you can or or perform it as you were whatever absolutely. it is and we just need more too we need more right. of this absolutely in the world so you know you're you are an attorney and you know so most people don't say i can't be a lawyer there's already lawyers in the world you know it's like we need more we need more healing we need more healers more artists so yeah absolutely now how do you help people feel the relief that they need what do you suggest i mean i guess that's an individualized question it's a tough one but there's so many people that do need relief. Absolutely. I've been working with a lot of organizations and supporting them with their staff. And so I've heard from hundreds of mostly women who I have the fortune to work with. And this is a huge one that comes up is I just, I need relief. You know, we survey people and that's one of the top things that we're hearing is I need relief. And so there's, once we understand the problem a little bit more, there are thousands of ways that we can address it. You know, whether that's through the breath, whether that's through journaling, whether that's through movement and stretching, whether it's through creating healthier boundaries for ourselves or with work or family. So those are some ways that we can address, but really taking time to like look at this, not only individual, but collective issues that are coming up. And you're right, it's individual for each person and it's different for each organization as to like what is causing the stressors and the pain and the isolation for folk. Uh, but then once we spend time with that, like really, again, trusting that we all have this innate wisdom to be able one when we have the opportunity and it's really helpful to have someone holding space for us and to do this work in community with our peers. One of my favorite quotes, from Miriam Greenspan is that healing happens in community. And I really believe that, you know, it's, it's not just by ourselves on our meditation cushion and it's not just in therapy and those are all important, but we also need that social healing, social justice piece, which is part of what I believe that we're all both individually and collectively searching for. So that was kind of a roundabout way to look at really spending time with the problem and trusting that we have answers 
within us. So a lot of my work is facilitating uh, folks to do that inward journey. And we do a lot of journaling and we use a lot of different tools to help us uh, get there. And for journaling, I was always taught to handwrite, not on a keyboard. Is it the same? Is that what you teach? I believe so. There's something about that hand, head, heart, body connection with the handwriting. Um, A lot of my plays Green plays I do by hand and then I transfer it on over. So there's nothing to that for sure. Yeah. Now you founded the breathing room and there's, can you talk about the importance of breath? I don't mean just for staying alive, but you want to talk about what the breathing room is and the importance of breath? Yes. Start with the breath. Yeah. The first thing we do when we're born, the last thing we do before we die. It's pretty essential, pretty key. And yet many of us have don't have the skills, haven't taken the time to really unlearn core patterns of breath. So we're all born knowing how to breathe naturally. The belly expands, the ribs expands when we inhale, it gently comes back on on the exhale. And then, you know, because of stress, because of nervous systems being out of whack, because of especially maybe for women, you know, not wanting to appear fat these kinds of things that or wearing bras or tight fitting clothing that we are not breathing in a way that's most supportive to our bodies. And so really just getting back to the essential breath and the effects that that can have on not just our nervous system, but then how that affects everything else in our lives and our choices. So the breath is very key to what we do and it is, you know, taking a full breath is one of the most radical things that we can do sometimes and especially in difficult moments. And so we even notice, I mean, we all do this, you know, the breath really reflects our emotions and our thoughts. So we all know that when we're feeling anxious, the breath might be more shallow and higher up in the body. And then when we're feeling calm and relaxed and safe, the breath might be longer. We might especially have a longer exhale. And so just really building our awareness to this very key and quote unquote basic human thing that we do so that we can have more ease and more influence over our thoughts and emotions. And then, you know, the breathing room, I really, I started there about eight years ago and I really wanted to bring together both yoga and the arts and, and all of these healing arts kind of in one space and really make it accessible to folks. So a lot of people that we work with are newer to the practice. And so they have all the, you know, reservations, like, well, I can't do yoga because I can't touch my toes. I hear that a lot. I'm not flexible enough or, you know, I can't meditate because my mind never shuts off. And of course, that's not the really the goal of meditation. You know, it's really becoming more friends with our minds, with our bodies and accepting ourselves where we are. And so that was my passion behind opening the breathing room. And now we've been partnering with, like you mentioned, the downtown detention center where we live and bringing yoga to the women inmates there and also working with behavioral health centers, working with mental health, the patient. And then we started Breathing Access, a nonprofit. I founded it and I serve as executive director. And it was really a matter of like, how can we bring this to youth? And so we are partnering with schools and our local school district to support not only students, but also educators and staff, because the research shows that when we take care of ourselves, we're better equipped to take care and to teach. 
others. Definitely. If, if they're doing it, they're going to pass that on. Right. I mean, I talk about, do, well, do you have, that's a good segue to what practices do you do on a regular basis? So to me, you know, like some of my friends are like, oh, you're so disciplined because you do this, you know, every day. And I was like, huh, I never really thought of it as discipline because for me, it's really my medication kind of a thing. For me, it's maintenance and it's it makes me feel good. So naturally I want to do it and I feel it when I don't. So as far as what I personally do every day, and this is not what's right for everybody. This is what's right for me right now. You know, I meditate in the mornings. I have my, my tea. I do my journaling. I do yoga. I walk pretty often. I'm getting into gardening. So those are some of the things that I do. And then I have boundaries with my phone and with work. So, and I'm also not on social media and I haven't been on for a few years and that's not right for everybody. It was right for me and that could change at any moment. But those are some things that I do to maintain and stay healthy. And I have a pretty strong social group that I nurture my relationships. And so those are some of the things. I love those. Those are so great. <laughs> and what got you started like really in like with the journaling? Why would you have started? Here you are, you're doing yoga. You founded the meditation. What made you start journaling? I really traced that back to uh, I took a course called The Artist's Way that okay. a lot of people yeah. have heard of, very familiar of with. And so I love Julia Cameron. I read all her books. And so I started doing morning pages and I kept that, it up. That explains it right one. there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Amanda Payton, one of my earlier, I think it was early, she, her episode was out. She does the artist's way and she talks about journaling and she also talks about for somebody having a hard time getting out up in the morning, just make one of your goals, wash one dish, like make your goals that small and easy. Don't, don't make it look for a job, five jobs right. or like, you know, she, right. said, she made it her yes. the goal setting so small yeah because that's how she was able to do things because she's been in that place I mean and I talked to her when she was on location in London so you know the fires were raging here at the time and she was mm -hmm. and you know everything changes so anyway it's just I want interesting. Yeah, that is so important I really want to underscore that is really baby step so even as I sit here talking about you know and of course at this point I've customized my whole life around my practice and what's right for me that took a long time it didn't happen overnight and I am very lucky to have the life that I have right now that I've built but yes the baby steps you know is really how we get to where we want to go so the teeniest tiniest action you know whether that's waking up at the same time every morning you know which is so important for a circadian rhythm just finding that smallest little next step yeah do you have a message of hope you want to give? So many of the folks that I've been talking to and now post are dealing with isolation and feeling like you talk so much about in your podcast, feeling alone. And so remembering that we are connected, whether that's to other people or whether that's spirit or nature or a family, you know, that we are not alone, that you are okay and that you are safe. Hope, you know, if you're not safe, taking steps to get to a place to be safe. And once we're there, retraining our nervous system to know that we are okay, that we are safe and being able to create our lives from that space instead of creating from a place of 
fear and insecurity and isolation. That's such a good message to give. It's really important. And anybody who wants to get in touch with Susie, all of her links and everything will be on the website. And she does private coaching. She does so much, but she does do private coaching as well. I do want to take a minute to mention that. Is there any question I should have asked you that I forgot to ask that you wish I had asked? And we're going to be off of this and you're like, ah, oh, Lauren didn't ask me this. Okay, hold on. You should ask me to say. Oh, I've never asked anybody to do that. Are there, is there something in particular that you should be singing? <laughs> so I can't believe I'm suggesting that, but I hosted a group for leaders and based on what each of them was struggling with, we created a collective song that I wrote. And it's a very simple, it's kind of like a little mantra. And so I would like to share that with folks right now. Okay. And if you feel like humming along, that is so beautiful and balancing for our nervous system. So please feel free. It's a simple tune. So I think you'll, you'll get it just fine. I am brave. I am brave. I am brave. I am brave. I am worthy. I am no I am brave, I am brave, I am brave, I am brave, I am worthy. I am more than enough. You can name that song, you can replace it with the words that are especially meaningful for you, like I am safe, I am safe, I am safe, I am worthy, but um, finding simple things that you can sing as a mantra. I do have an album on Spotify that will link to that has some soothing songs like this. Ah, that was wonderful. I had no idea what to expect. I was like, okay. Me either. (laughs) (laughs) So look on your face. You got to watch this on YouTube now so that you can see the look on Susie's face when she said that. And you look radiant right now. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, this was fabulous. That was very, very fun and surprising. And you just made my day. So yeah, thank you so much for being a guest today. I'm 52 Weeks of Hope. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Susie's messages of purpose, empowerment, and mindfulness. Such fulfilling messages to take into your week ahead. All of Susie's links will be in the show notes on the website at 52weeksofhope.com. While you're on the website, there's links to rate and review the podcast, or you can do that from wherever you're listening. It all helps and it's really appreciated. Thanks for helping get the word out about the podcast and helping more women feel less alone in the overwhelm. And to remember the pause. Answers emerge in the pause and instead of adding to your to-do list, how about a to-don't list? which is my segue into the series I have starting for you and that I'm so excited about. It's a show for burnt out overachieving type A moms. And unlike other shows for burnt out overachieving moms, only we take you off the hamster wheel by ditching the to-do list for the to-don't list. That starts in two weeks and I'm super excited about it. Until next week when there's another amazing podcast that I've been saving for the first week of September because it is that good. I'm very excited about that one too. I'm Lauren Abrams, about to head to Boston to take my son back to school. Thanks for listening.